Hey guys, welcome back to another week here at Cold Stuff and Chill. For you guys, it's been a week between recordings, but for me and Ashley, it's been approximately two to three days, so (laughs) (laughs) not much has changed in our world. I will say I am a little bit emotional today for a really stupid reason, and it's because, and I realize this is really fucking stupid, I took my cat to the vet yesterday. And she just had to get her rabies shot. And this was Noodle, so she's a little feistier. And ever since then, she has, like, she won't hang out with me now. And she just looks at me like, Mother, you have betrayed me. (laughs) And I'm, like, a very much a Libra in the sense that if everyone is not happy with me, it, like, gives me anxiety. And the fact that my cat is mad at me is giving me heavy anxiety today. My cat just can't be fucked to, like, even sit in the room with me at this point. And, like, we have this morning routine where she'll, like, meow at me. And then I get up and we go to the bathroom together and she sits on the counter while I brush my teeth and wash my face. And then I turn the sink on for her and she drinks her water and she wouldn't do it today. She just like sat in the bedroom in the corner, like ultimate betrayal. <laughs> and I think she probably feels a little icky because just like a human after you get vaccines, sometimes you just feel a little icky. And so yeah. I just think she doesn't feel very good today, but it makes me so sad. Yeah, that happens a lot with animals. They're just like, you can tell they don't feel good. Most people don't even notice it, but they're just like, meh, mm-hmm. sick. <laughs> and like, I picked her up last night to carry her to bed. And usually she's just like, okay, I'm just going to go with it. But she like howled at me. She's like, don't touch me. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> also, like this cat in the vet, do not, it's like not a good thing. So we had to give her cat drugs we had to basically give her yeah kitty xanax and we she still like i've never heard her scream so loud (laughs) as when the vet tried to they had to like hold her down with a towel and like on top of her hold her down and like jab her with a thing and i was just sitting in the corner like oh my god oh my god oh my god oh my god because i've never seen her do that before because she is just a young lass and the last couple times we took her to the vet it was COVID time, so I just, like, gave him the carrier and then sat in my car. And I, like, was having a full-blown, like, panic attack moment. And <laughs> because my cat was so upset and screaming, I was like, she never does this. I don't know what's going on. And yeah, that's like, just, bitch, yeah. I've seen this every yeah, single time she's come in. Well, and he was like, you know what? She's very energetic, but this is not the worst we've had. And I was like, I don't believe that because this was horrifying. <laughs> and he's like, well, next time we'll maybe just give her a little bit stronger dose of Xanax <laughs> the night before and the day of. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm so Which sorry. Which is not reassuring. No. And I was like, she's so sweet at home. And he's like, I, I'm sure she just doesn't like being at the vet. And he was very nice about it. But I was like, oh, my God. I'm so embarrassed. A lot of animals get, like, the white coat syndrome. Mm-hmm. And it, like, for some of them, it doesn't matter how long you, like, let them sit in the room and investigate and, like, get comfortable with it. They mm-hmm. just hate, hate the vet. Yeah. I will say, I think the drugs did help a little bit because typically the second I put her in her carrier to take her to the vet, she shits herself just immediately. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't happen. I didn't have to clean up any poop or give a cat a bath yesterday, which was wonderful. Yeah, could you imagine if you're trying to wrangle a cat that's also covered in shit? Oh, God. We had to do that before because when we moved, we granted they were in like a little crate. We had like a large kennel that had a little litter box in it and like a cat bed and stuff. But uh, of course, she chose just to shit herself. So we had to pull (laughs) over on the side of the road, literally like 
we had been traveling for maybe 10 minutes and I was like, well, we're far enough away from home that I don't want to turn around and go home because there's nothing at home anymore. We have moved. And it was very stressful. I was on the side of the highway, like cleaning shit off of a cat. So (laughs) (laughs) it was not fun. But baby, she's worth it. Also, okay, so this is like totally out of left field, but so between the time I talked to you last and today, I have gone to Target um, and (laughs) explored the Halloween section, and I am at a crossroads because I really desperately want to decorate my front yard as a graveyard. I feel like I am in a neighborhood where none of my shit's going to get stolen off my lawn, which is rare because... In my last house, I could have put a yard like lawn ornament out and it would have been stolen in like two seconds. Here, not so much. I've got fucking at least three police officers on my street, which is weird. But anyway, I digress. However, I feel like if I do decorate for Halloween in the manner that I want to, I want to go full out. I want tombstones like zombies. I want to get a fog machine. But then I feel like I would be obligated to pass out candy. And I do not. want to pass out candy halloween is my day i don't want to spend my halloween giving other people my candy which is selfish and terrible but i want to spend it on the couch watching movies eating candy by the handful i don't want every ding dong oh look at you i'm gonna sneeze all over your shit and put my dirty hands in your candy bowl i don't want that you could just like put the candy out on the porch Mm. and be like Take one. Because, like, really, it's just the girl gang in your neighborhood, isn't it? There's a lot of kids in my neighborhood. So the girl gang is my favorite gang. And I feel like they would not sneeze in my candy bowl. Like, they are Mm -hmm. very cute, very nice. They always wave at me when I drive in and out of the neighborhood. But there's also this little gang of boys that ride around on their bicycles. And they just, like, use my my house as a backstop to play softball and, like, leave their bikes everywhere and just are a menace to society, which, surprise, surprise, the boy gang in the neighborhood is the one that's fucking terrible. <laughs> the girl gang that's just actually handing out stickers. That's a great idea, though, and I don't know why it didn't occur to me. I may go ahead and decorate my yard and just put a big bowl of candy out. Because I could always, under the guise of, like, I don't want to hand out candy COVID. because COVID. And that would probably be good enough. Yeah. And then when it's gone, it's gone. Do you have, like, a ring doorbell or anything where you can, like, kind of watch? I don't. I've been wanting to get one real bad, though. Maybe this is your uh, impetus for it. Yeah. This is your reasoning. Hmm. All right. You've sold me. I'm definitely going to have to go back to Target. <laughs> I was... The only other thing that was putting me a little bit on the fence was, like, my husband still has to mow the yard because it is Kansas. It is still very warm and the grass is still growing. Um... But overgrown grass might fit in with the spooky graveyard theme. No, it's a vibe. It's a vibe. All right. So I'm going to give it two more weeks and wait until the 1st of October. And then I'm going to do the decorating. Because they have these little packs of styrofoam tombstones. Like They were like four for $10. I could get like three packs of those, maybe four. Mm -hmm. Maybe splurge on a couple of the big daddies that were like 20 bucks. Man. All right. I'm doing it. Go for it. I'll, if I have follow through on this plan, um, I don't often have follow through on my big ideas, but I feel like this might be one of them that I do. I will post a picture to our Instagram. If you don't see a picture, it means that my 
ADD brain was like, um, just kidding. We're, we had a great idea. We were really on board and then we forgot about it until the middle of October and it wasn't worth it anymore. But then the middle of October is when we're going on our girls trip. So, oh, well then I have to have a decorated before you get to my house. Yeah. If mm. you're decorating. If I'm decorating. Okay. So first of October it's on. It's on what weekend is that? I have to I have to set a date of when I'm going to go collect the goods. Although it's at Target, they're going to be sold out before then, so maybe I do need to go like this week and get my tombstones. Yeah, well, and yeah. I mean the 1st of October is not next Friday, but the Friday after. Mm-hmm. All right. It's on you guys like Donkey Kong. <laughs> There's going to be a graveyard on uh, I almost said on xyz street but that would have been very stupid of me not that we have a ton of listeners i don't feel like any of the people that do listen are going to come stalk my house but maybe i just like shouldn't tell people where i live no probably not a good idea ashley story time what are you talking about this week speaking of graveyards (gasps) you want to hear about the uh, mysterious lack of a graveyard yes i absolutely do I love a good spooky mystery. To start our story off, and you'll probably be able to tell where I'm going as soon as I start this. <laughs> in 1584, Sir Walter Raleigh, Queen Elizabeth I's favorite boy toy, petitioned her to establish a colony in North America. After much discussion, they unanimously decided that, yes, this savage new world, it needed the white Christian Jesus. So Sir Walter Raleigh was given the exclusive rights to colonize and strip the land of its natural resources of the entire continent under the sovereign authority of the crown, minus those parts that were already colonized, of course. This is where the story of the lost colony of Roanoke starts. Yes! Okay, so I gotta tell you a fun (laughs) little fact about me that has a little bit to do with this. So... In elementary middle school, I was a nerd, so I got invited to participate in what was called College for Kids, which is where, like, the smart kids, a.k.a. the quiet kids that didn't cause trouble in class, got to, like, go do this over the summer. And I was like, you know what? I want to take this class that's about the history of colonial America. And we got to, like, learn all about Roanoke, and we also got to play colonial baseball, which was great. But ever since then, (laughs) I'm, like, very fascinated by this story. It's a good one. It's mm-hmm. a good, it's a good mystery. Also a, a good, great season of AHS. Yeah. Which is controversial, but. It was one of, of my favorites. It. I don't get like, even my husband was like, this is a great season of TV. And everyone's like, no, this sucks. But you know what? Fuck those people. It was great. I mean, so I, off topic, I think that probably. One of my favorite seasons of HS was Hotel, but mm. then Roanoke was another good one. Yeah. Um, because, like, I don't know, it didn't feel like it was going too all over the place, which a lot of people are like, no, it felt like it was completely all over the place. But mm-hmm. it was like, no, like, it was a very succinct storyline and kind of existed in its own microcosm. And, like, I don't know, it just felt like it did a really good job of tying mm-hmm. in the old like, the old supernatural stuff with, like, the modern stuff, kind of like the first season did. Yeah. But the first season was also kind of all over the place, so. Have you watched the American Horror Stories? That's just, like, the one-off little... It, mm-hmm. I was not... There's two episodes that are about the murder house again, and then the rest of them are just, like, kind of rando stories. Um, yeah. I didn't love it. Like, it wasn't bad. I was entertained, but, like, 
I just wish it was a regular season of AHS. There was an episode about the National Park cannibals, though. But anyways, back to mm-hmm. the, story the story of the yes, colony yes, yes. of the Roanoke. Sir Walter Raleigh and Queen Elizabeth, their main goal was to establish a foothold so they could hopefully raid the Spanish West Indies because, of course, England at this point was fucking heavily with Spain. Spain was fucking with England. They just could not just fucking get over with. So, in late April 1584, Sir Wally set out to call dibs on North America. He dispatched two ships on a reconnaissance mission to get some intel about a good spot to set up shop. The mission, led by Philip Amadas and Arthur Barlow, set off, and a few months later they arrived in an area known as the Outer Banks, which is a chain of islands off the coast of what is now North Carolina. And also the location of a very great teen drama show. Sorry, I just had to Which interrupt. one is that? The Outer Banks. Oh. It's great. I love it. I love teen drama. Anyway, continue. Sorry. But yeah, it's basically just like a chain of islands that creates sort of like a little bay area. Mm-hmm. They discovered multiple Canada islands, all covered in fertile soil, timber, and game. They met some local indigenous people that they referred to as very handsome and goodly people, and in their behavior as mannerly and civil as any of Europe, because they didn't know... This, he didn't say this, but it's probably because they didn't know that how badly they were about ready to get fucked yeah. over. So the expedition gathered all of this information and they rounded up two locals to go with them, Montillo and Wachese, and they set off for Jolly Old England to report their findings. Upon hearing this info, Sir Wally World was pleased and he immediately was like, we got to get a foothold here. This sounds great. You know, we got plenty of friends that will help us make it through. So he immediately started planning the logistics of setting up the colony. In April 1585, he set out a small fleet of ships carrying around 600 soldiers and sailors to establish a preliminary fort on Roanoke Island. The group dropped off a garrison of about 108 men under the command of Rolf Lane, an Irish war veteran, and everyone else went back for more supplies and settlers. Over the winter and spring, the dudes, they started out having a great time exploring the area. They're making contact with the native tribes. They're trying to figure out where the natives were keeping all of their gold and copper mines. And then they started to get, like, slightly more insidious. Mm. And Ralphie started talk started to talk about moving the settlement further inland um, because it would just be better for setting up harbors for the English ships. And they were kind of dabbling with the idea when eventually the decision was made for them to just full-on leave Roanoke Island in late June of 1586. And they were forced to abandon their settlement because of Ralphie's massive ego. He had a way of pissing off the native tribes, including one tribe in which he killed the chief to try to get the rest of the tribe to not want to fight with him he didn't want to have a confrontation so he's like i'm just gonna kill the chief and then they're not gonna have a leader you know cut the head off the snake Mm -hmm. and then the body will die no just pissed everybody off that coupled with irresponsible management of the resources they had come with led them to completely run out of food and then they didn't have the backup of the natives you know Mm -hmm. helping to feed them it's funny what happens when you like murder people (laughs) and just come in swinging your dick around another uh a-list celebrity Sir Francis Drake showed up around that time, and they're like, hey, we gotta, we gotta go. We're thinking about moving further inland, but as they were about to go onto the coast, a hurricane hit the area, so Sir Fancy Francie, he <laughs> persuaded Ralphie and the rest of the men 
to go back to England with him. Of course, Ralphie's like, mm, yeah, I kind of fucked up shit real bad here. Uh, there's a hurricane. It sucks, quite frankly. It sucks to be here. There's no prostitutes. It's a bunch of mm-hmm. dudes. So Awful. Yeah. He's like, I've already burned my bridges. I don't want to admit that I fuck up. So he's just like, yeah, I would like to go back to report my findings in person mm. to Sir Wally World. Everybody goes back. The native people are like, thank fucking God, these losers are gone. <laughs> Sir Wally World, his interest is piqued again about this stupid settlement idea upon hearing about the prospective gold mines. And they had also heard some rumors that there was a river that ran all the way to India through North America, which, as we know, is not mm-hmm. true. But the the natives just were like, oh, yeah, it goes it goes all the way. This goes as far as we know. And so they're like, yes, this is very promising yeah. intel. So he's like, all right, let's try to settle this bitch one more time. And this time he decided to put John White in command. Now, John White was an artist and explorer who had been on two of the two previous voyages. He was familiar with the lay of the land, so he's really just, like, the best candidate for the job. And he'd actually, I think he was also, like, kind of an amateur cartographer. This expedition, however, differed in that it wasn't just a garrison of soldiers with some survival skills. It was a settlement of 118 men, women, and children, including John's daughter, Eleanor, his son-in-law, Anais Dare, along with friends and associates. He was kind of like the original influencer. He'd been there. He'd seen land. (laughs) He was pumped. He, He wanted to start a trend. He wanted to get all the English people moving to this area. And most of all, I think he just wanted to be the governor of the new world. So they go on this voyage with the intention of settling a city of Raleigh on the, like, inland area. They never actually got there. The sailors got to the Outer Banks Islands, and they're like, yep, good enough. And they dropped everybody off on the now hostile Roanoke Island. Remember, (laughs) the uh, Ralphie had just straight up murdered a bunch of people. They were like, this is good enough. You can figure it out from here. Refuse to take them any further. After about six weeks, they had been attacked by the native tribes. Of course, John White's like, what the fuck? How did it get this bad? (laughs) You guys have built up a lot of animosity towards us since the last time we visited. And so he's like, I got to go back to England. This shit's rough. Adding in women and children. We need more tools. We need more food. We need to bring in more soldiers to protect the genteel women folk. (laughs) This is, like, a, what, 20-square-mile island? Like, you couldn't have gone anywhere else. Yeah. Like, this... The continent is vast, and... This is a relatively small swath of land that you've decided to put your whole life on here. Right. And also, there's other people already living there. Yeah. Anyways... So, John White, he abandons his whole family, including newborn Virginia Dare, who was the first wasp baby born in North America, and he fucks off back to England around the end of August to get more supplies and more soldiers to help protect the women folk again. I think this was another case of, this shit sucks, Mm -hmm. I need a break, bye. Fun little fact, around the time that they arrived in England, it was just as Spain was starting to conspire to send their armada to take back the crown of England for Catholicism. So tensions were high and all available, especially naval resources, were being put towards the impending war effort. John White was stranded in England for three years with no way to get back and no way to communicate with the colony because it's not like they could send a text or an email or anything. Mm -hmm. It was, they couldn't even send a ship. 
Mother Nature blew the fuck out of the Spanish Armada and won the war for the English. John White finally gets his ass back on a boat to the colony. He charters, I believe, some private ships. However, when they arrive on Roanoke Island, in what can be considered one of the last wins for indigenous people, they find that the colonists had completely disappeared. The colony was completely abandoned. There was no indication of a struggle. There was no indication of corpses or bodies. And there's really no trace that the settlers had ever been there with no buildings being there. There was a few, I think, like palisade fence posts still in, but for the most part, it was gone. The only indication of their whereabouts were the letters C-R-O carved into a tree nearby and the word Croatoan carved into one of the old palisade wooden posts. Before he had left, John White had instructed the colonists to carve a Maltese cross into a tree if they were threatened by force as sort of a code to indicate something bad had happened to them, but no such symbol was ever found. Back to Croatoan. Croatoan was an island to the south where one of the OG natives that went to England, Mentillo's people lived. John White's like, okay, great. I know that tribe. There's a chance, you know, I'll be able to see them again. Chance that they're being taken care of. They're pretty friendly. As far as I know, they're still friendly. Let's go. Let's go get them. But as they were sailing to Croatoan Island, a massive storm drove the ship out to sea. And John White was basically outnumbered by a bunch of pissed off sailors that were hoping for a nice warm meal and instead got a murder mystery. And they're like, we're going back. So they cut, decided to cut their losses and they sailed back to England without ever finding out the fate of the settlers. John White later moved to Ireland and just died and he never found out what happened to his family. Now, everyone is probably wondering, what happened here? And the answer is, we don't really know for sure. Although we can assume it probably wasn't pleasant, whatever it was, some of the more popular theories involve the fact that the colonists could have just simply been killed by the indigenous tribes who were like starting to get wise to the idea that the pale faces, sons of bitches, weren't actually trying to be their friends and were mm-hmm. really just trying to like take over everything and, you know, strip the land of its natural resources and wanted their gold, even though it wasn't, I don't think they had as much gold as the, yeah. the waspy people thought they did. Uh, Another theory is that the Spaniards were still butthurt about getting their asses handed to them in their holy war and knowing that the English planned to make this their base of operations to start raiding the shit out of them decided to go in and murk the colonists, which, you know, valid. Mm -hmm. Another theory is that the colonists who were ill-suited and poorly educated on how the ecosystem in the North Americas worked died from famine because they ran out of supplies and just could not figure out how to live off the land. Um, it wasn't really until like almanacs started to become a thing that people were able to figure it out and they were learning from the native tribes how to farm the land because it's much different than England yeah, or yep. any part of Europe really because it really is a bit further north, a lot different climate. You're not getting the hurricanes, the storms, the droughts mm-hmm. I think that North America was getting. The land hadn't been cultivated for farming in the way that the Europeans were trying to cultivate it. Mm -hmm. So they were used to one thing, whereas the native tribes were doing much more like integrated farming practices. That was like a lot healthier for the condition of the soil where the Europeans Mm -hmm. were basically just like stripping the soil down. So they're basically saying that like none of the Europeans farming methods could hold up to the new world. Well, even like. The type of soil there, I would imagine it would be a lot more of a sandy soil. So I can't mm-hmm. imagine that any of the like crops or like if they had brought in seeds or something with them would have really taken off. Well, and it also is like really salty because 
the, you know, it's literally like ocean on both sides. Yeah. The other thing is that they were actually in the middle of the worst drought in 800 years. So that's another reason that they mm. might have died from famine. Yeah. Another theory, and this one's kind of uh, spirals spirals out of control, is that they died of some sort of plague, which is kind of funny because it's ironic. There are offshoots of this theory that suggest that it was a zombie or a vampire outbreak <laughs> because of the complete lack of corpses or graves or anybody writing about it, which is ridiculous, but I kind of fuck with that theory. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of funny. Yeah. And there's actually a Harvard archaeologist, Lawrence Steger, who discovered some evidence of mass cannibalism on the island around that time, which coincided with the drought, which, again, was the worst in 800 years. There's a theory that aliens just popped in and abducted all the colonists in an effort to protect the native tribes or something like that. Very Twin Peaks. They just came in and everybody out. Some of the more viable theories are that some or all the colonists actually did go to Croatoan with Mantio and lived the rest of their days there, assimilating with the local friendlier tribes. British colonists in the 17th and 18th centuries reported speaking to Native Americans with gray eyes claiming to be descendants of the colonists. French Huguenots, who settled there later, reported that many people of the Tuscarora tribe had blonde hair and blue eyes. Mm -hmm. And that's often referred to as like the lost tribe of Roanoke or the lost colony of Roanoke. Yeah. Seemingly backing up this claim is the discovery of European pottery, the hilt of an English iron sword, a slate writing tablet, and copper aglets, which if you don't know are the things that go on the end of strings to keep them from fraying. Mm -hmm. And these were all found on Croatoan Island, which is now known as Hatteras Island, where Mantio's tribe lived. There's also claims that Virginia Dare, who is the granddaughter of John White, was the only survivor of the colony. And after everyone else decided, either died from famine or whatever, or got murdered by the locals, or there's also a theory that they might have tried to sail back to England on canoes mm -hmm. across the Atlantic Ocean, which, like... <laughs> Good luck. Great idea, guys. But the Virginia Dare specifically was saved by the Croatan tribe. She was later renamed to Winonaska and was set to be married to the handsome chieftain of the tribe, Oskisko. However, a powerful medicine man named Chico also had a thing for her, and when she rebuked him, he turned her into a white doe so that no man could have her. Oh, no. It's said that Oskisko, determined to get his lady love back, went to a different medicine man, a much friendlier one, and that guy gave him a pearl-tipped arrow, the pearl having been plucked from a magic fountain, and he instructed Oskisko to shoot her in the heart, and if he succeeded, that Winoska would become human again. However, word got out about this elusive white doe, and Wancheze, one of, actually the other guy that went to England to see Queen Elizabeth, he set out to kill her, and he actually had a silver-tipped arrow from England that Queen Elizabeth had given him as a gift. So the hunt was on, and Winoska in deer form is she's standing out in a clearing. Allegedly, both of these dudes deer at the same time and shoot from opposite sides of the clearing. And Okisko's pearl arrow pierced her heart first, turning her back into a human. And then Wancheze's arrow followed suit and killed her. Okisko, devastated, took Winoska to the Magic Pearl Fountain, but it was in vain. And her spectral doe form now haunts the area to this day. Allegedly. Spooky. Which, you know, wild story from beginning to end. Mm -hmm. So there's a theory that the colonists actually moved inland rather than moving to another island. And... This 
was due to some really national treasure type shit on a suspiciously accurate watercolor map that John White made of the coastline and the Outer Banks. And when I say suspiciously accurate, maps of this time were often just kind of like half-assed put together. But this Mm -hmm. is like, if you put it against a satellite image of the area, there's very little changes and it's mostly just coastline changes over time. Mm -hmm. This kind of sometimes feeds into the alien theory that they're like, he only would have known that if he had been viewing it from above. Right. (laughs) It's kind of weird. In 2012, researchers at the British Museum studied two small patches on the map and discovered a sort of like square starish shape, like a four-pointed star. It was outlined in blue and filled in with red, signifying some kind of landmark about 50 miles inland. It was considered maybe to be a fort or fortification. That was kind of a standard way to mark fortifications at that time. Also, they discovered the possibility he had put this little mark on the map and then decided better of it that, like, maybe people didn't need to know where this fort was because at the time there were Spanish spies Mm. in the English court. So he's like, I don't want them to go there and murder my whole family. He covered it up with a patch, and then there's indications that there might be some sort of invisible ink on top of the patch. So, like, it could only be revealed to those who knew it was there. Later, archaeological digs that were conducted at the site discovered artifacts such as pottery, more aglets, and other clear signs of European habitation. There's all sorts of theories and speculation, but at the end of the day, we don't really know exactly what happened, but we can only guess based on our best evidence. And this is one of those times I really wish we had time travel so we could see what actually happened. I like the idea that they were abducted by aliens because they were just like, (laughs) you can't be trusted here among this native population. You got to go. I mean, I kind of like the idea that they just assimilated, and mm-hmm. then if there were any bad people, they got murdered, but, like, all of the people that could were assimilated and then just, like, lived peacefully with mm-hmm. the tribes rather than just trying to dominate the local tribes. Right. Honestly, all of these tribes had their shit way more together than any of the settlers or colonizers did. Yeah. That's very true. Devin, story time. Ooh, what are you going to talk? This week, um, apparently, there's, like, a really big running theme in the stories that I pick and that they're all, like, historical murders, it seems like, or, like, mysteries. So, this week, we're going to talk about the murder of Sweet Fanny Adams. I'll just, like, set the scene for you first. Uh, It's a lovely day. It's August of 1867. We are in a town called Alton. It's in the south of England, and it was renowned for having these, like, huge hops fields which led to a ton of breweries opening in the town and made hop picking like a big part of the town's economy. And so like this is a hipster's dream town basically because there's just like small breweries <laughs> basically just like popping up left, right, and center. And like I can just picture a bunch of Victorian men in like little monocles with twisty mustaches and they're just like posted up at his favorite like brew spot and just bragging about his like craft beer knowledge. That's just like this city is full of them. In the city, there's a street called Tanhouse Lane. And north of that is a meadow called Flood Meadow, and a river that sometimes would flood the area in times of heavy rain. However, on a nice day like this day in August of 1867, the local children like to put on their best creepy Victorian children gear and go out and fuck off for the day and frolic. However, next to this meadow is a large hop garden. So, for reference for uneducated people like myself, I didn't know what a hop garden looked like. So they're not like a standard crop that really grows in the ground. So like soybeans, wheat, hello, like my Midwest is showing, but that's the reference I have. 
Instead, they're grown vertically in long rows on basically what looks like a wire attached to something similar looking to like a utility pole or electricity pole. So think grapes at a winery, but much, much taller. Like they mm-hmm. are very tall. Of course, the main character of the story is little Fanny Adams. Uh, spoiler alert, do not get attached because she dies. <laughs> this this is a murder podcast. We all know what's coming. Um But Fanny, she was described as being tall, comely, which in Victorian terms doesn't mean ugly like I thought it did. It meant she was very attractive. So she's tall, she's super cute, and she's very smart. (laughs) And that's how she's described. So she also appeared to be older than her real age of eight. And she's known locally to have like a very lively and cheerful disposition. She's like bopping about the town, very popular. Fanny, she has a best friend named Minnie Warner. She's the same age, and she lives next door on Tanhouse Lane. Our story begins on August 24th of that year. The day, like I said, it's reported to have been beautiful and sunny, a little bit hot, but like primo frolicking weather for the kids. Fanny, along with her sister Lizzie and her best friend Minnie, they asked her mother, Harriet Adams, if she could go out to Flood Meadow, again, for frolicking. What's a Victorian child to do but frolic? So... Mom obviously has no objections. She's, like, fucking stoked for the girls to leave for a while because she's doing housework. She's a busy mom. I think Fanny has something like four siblings. So, like, homegirl, she needs a break. Again, a case of too many damn children. (laughs) So Harriet agrees, and Fanny and the local children, often they play in Flood Meadow all the time because it's so close to this tan house lane, and there's, like, never been a history of any real crime in Alton within, like, living memory. It's not unusual for her to just have, like, something to fuck off and play around in the meadow. So, Harriet, no shade on you. You're doing a great job, sweetie. You have a lot of kids, a lot of responsibility. Send them out to frolic. Unfortunately, at this time, however, the meadow and neighborhood wasn't as safe as everyone had thought. Um, So, as the girls are walking towards Blood Meadow into a hop garden, so they have to, like, basically, they're taking a shortcut to the meadow by walking through this hop garden. And they cross paths with a man named Frederick Baker, who is a 29-year-old solicitor's clerk, which, from what I can tell, is basically like a paralegal, but British. So he's wearing a big frock coat, which I think just means like a fancy coat with some tails on it. It's like a like a trench coat, kind of. Okay, so... But it's like more fitted. Gotcha. So picture a Victorian trench coat on this man, and he's got light-colored trousers and then a tall hat on. Baker, he is relatively new to town and had moved from his former hometown in Guildford to work and live in Alton about a year prior. So he is employed by a local solicitor, again, I think it means lawyer, called Mr. Clements, whose office was situated in Alton on High Street opposite something called the Swan Hotel, which is just like a pub that he would frequent. Mr. Baker would frequent, rather. They're all in the hop field. They're walking to their respective locations. I don't know where the fuck Mr. Baker was headed. Maybe he's going to the meadow to, like, have some outdoorsy time. Anyway, so they cross paths, and Baker, he gives Minnie and Lizzie three halfpence to go spend on sweets, and then he gives Fanny another halfpenny. He's just, like, candy man out in the forest, creepy candy man, giving children money. The girls, they don't think it's super weird. They've seen this dude before at church meetings, and they were, like, really unconcerned about taking money from him. They're like, fuck yeah, I'll go buy some candy. Like, thanks for looking (laughs) out, dude. Baker then proceeds to watch the girls run around and play and ate blackberries that he had been picking. So they're, like, eating the blackberries, taking his money. He's being a creep old man watching them play. 
And honestly, up until that point, it's a pretty solid day in the life of a Victorian child. Like, they're just frolicking, they're playing, eating berries, they have a pocket full of candy money. Like, what can be better? A lot of things could be better because things start to take a dark turn <laughs> about an hour later when Lizzie and Minnie, they decide that they've had enough for the day. They want to go home. They're done. They have frolicked their last frolic. And at this point, Baker then approaches Fanny who kind of still wants to be out playing, and asks her to accompany him to Sheldon, which is a nearby village. He's given the girls candy money, and now he's like, hey, Fanny, like, just come with me, sweetheart. We're going to go to the local village. Fanny, smart girl that she is, she refuses, which, like, good girl. We don't do strangers. We don't go with strangers. However, Mm -hmm. despite her unwillingness to go with him, Baker simply abducts her, just picks her up, and carries her into the nearby hop garden. (laughs) Lizzie and Minnie, they kind of were like on their exit but they see this happen and they're like looking at each other like yeah girl we're for sure snitching today and so <laughs> they run back to Tanhouse lane straight to martha warner which is minnie's mom and tell her what happened martha shade to you my dear because she ignores the story because i guess kids will be kids and the girls are like well okay we tried and so they just continue playing carry on so martha maybe fuck you if the kids are telling you that someone has been abducted, like... Maybe believe them. Maybe believe them. Although, I feel like in the Victorian times, like, they definitely had a case of if we lose a kid or two, mm. eh. Like, yeah. it's a lot. It's a lot of shit to do. There's a lot probably. of mouths to feed here. Yeah. So, you know, she... If she's not out working, she's not really much used to us anyways. It's just a really late-term abortion, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> That's fucking terrible, but yes, basically. I mean... Mm-hmm. I mean, she was about marriageable age anyway, so maybe she's like, yeah, I mean, she could do worse than a paralegal. <laughs> so it's not until, like, 5 p.m., so I think they had been off frolicking in the morning, and then around 5 p.m., Dinner time rolls around. They start to, like, make their way home. And Miss Gardner, who also lived on their street, again, that's Minnie's mom, notices Fanny's absence at this point. She's like, she's still gone? What the fuck? And so, at this point, she asks where she is. And the girls relayed again what had happened earlier in the day. And so, they tell Miss Gardner that Fanny had been taken away by Mr. Baker. And then Miss Gardner's like, shit. (laughs) They weren't kidding. (laughs) And then, so, she relays this information to Fanny's mom. And so, the two women, they set off to search for her. They end up meeting and crossing paths with Mr. Baker after going only a short distance. So it's like near a gate separating the hop garden from Flood Meadow that they run into him. Mrs. Gardner asks Baker what he had done with the with Fanny, and Baker assures her that he often gave money to children for buying sweets, and it was nothing weird or unusual. And Miss Gardner replies, Well, I have a great mind to give you in charge of the police. So basically she's like, dude. I'm going to turn you in. Where is the girl? And then Baker is basically like, you can do whatever the fuck you want. Because he's like, I have a position in town working in the law office. I've got a a good paying job. And Mm -hmm. this enough in the Victorian area or era is enough to be like, oh, he's not a suspect. He's, you know, a trustworthy member of society. The two women, they return back to their home, believing that Fanny is still off playing in one of the surrounding fields. Because they're like, oh, yes, you're right. You are an upstanding citizen. We believe that you purely just gave them candy and our children are wrong when they say that you carried this small girl into the field parenting not on point here 
I feel like Victorian children were a lot smarter than, like, anybody ever gave them credit mm-hmm. for. Like, they just seemed to be rather plucky and... Yeah. Like, they well, had their wits about them. Yeah, and they had to grow up a lot quicker than kids nowadays. So, like, you would think mm-hmm. that you would maybe, like, listen to your fucking kids when they say that someone's been abducted. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, they're like, okay, yeah, sure, whatever. They're telling... He's telling the truth. He just gave him candy money. Nothing weird about that. Sometime between 7 and 8 p.m., Fanny, she's still not come home, which prompts Harriet, Fanny's mom, and a group of neighbors to go back out searching for her again. As the evening was setting, so, like, the sun's coming down, the search begins in the hollow, which is, like, to no success. Um, And then they move to the nearby hop garden, and unfortunately, at this point, a laborer named Thomas Gates finds the head of Fanny Adams stuck on two hop poles. He's out tending the crops and just, like, comes across the decapitated head of an eight-year-old girl. And he also finds an ear that had been severed from the head, which had two large cuts from mouth to ear across the temple. Uh, Trigger warning here. I should have issued it maybe before that last paragraph, but we're going to get into even more gruesome details here. Further investigation discovered the remains of Fanny, so her head, arms, and legs were all separated from the body. There were three incisions on the left side of the chest and a deep cut on the left arm that was dividing her arm muscles from the bone and the skin. Fanny's forearm was cut off at the elbow joint, and her left leg was almost nearly severed from the hip joint. So it looks like someone had tried to remove it, but they didn't have maybe the tool to do it. Her left foot was cut off at the ankle, and her right leg was torn from the trunk. And the whole contents of her pelvis and her abdomen were completely removed from her body. Five further incisions had been made on her liver, and her heart had been cut out, and this is an exceptionally gross part, but her vagina was missing. So it had been removed, and it was never recovered. Uh, More gruesome details. Both of her eyes were also cut out, and they were found in the nearby river. Upon hearing all of this, obviously Harriet, the mom, is overwhelmed with grief, and she, like, collapses on her way to go find her husband, he was off playing cricket with his buddies at the time. <laughs> yeah, so oh he, like, God. was just oblivious. He never knew that she went missing in the first place. Like, all this was happening. Her body parts are being discovered. And he's just, like, fucking off in the meadow playing cricket with his, his he's homeboys. He's out drinking fucking IPAs with his yeah. homeboys. Twisting playing. his mustache. Yeah, so someone goes off to tell him what had happened. And his name is George. And when he is told the details... He returns home, he gets his loaded shotgun and sets out to look for the culprit. But neighbors, they stop him, and instead they're like, boy, he ain't worth it, which he is totally worth it, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but no, totally worth it. Yeah, so they sit with him throughout the night to make sure he doesn't go do anything, like, bad. Um, and then the next day, hundreds of people visit the hop garden to help collect additional, basically, Fanny's scattered remains. They're, like, looking for additional clues and body parts. Um... So the police, of course, they're in on this, too. They tried unsuccessfully to find the murder weapons. And as they suspected, small knives were used to commit the crime. It's likely that it just was went into the pocket of whomever did it, and they left with the murder weapons. Um, it's also very likely that the large crowd of people that were searching for different body parts or clues or evidence, they, like, had inadvertently trampled down any clues that were left. And so... That's very unfortunate, That, but the members of the search party did, however, recover all of the clothing that she had been wearing that had been, like, chopped into pieces and scattered about the field. The one thing that they didn't find was her hat, but they found everything else. 
um, with the exception of the body parts that we had mentioned earlier were missing, they were able to piece together most of her body. The only parts of her body that were not collected um, were parts of her intestines and a foot. They weren't found until the next day. So one foot was actually still in the shoe, and God, this is really sad, but one of the arms that they uncovered in the hand were still being, like, clutched the two little half pennies that he had given her to buy candy. All of the remains, they are collected by searchers, and then they're taken to essentially a doctor's office or, like, a coroner's office, but it was actually pretty makeshift, so they're set up in a public house named Ye Old Leather and Bottle. <laughs> so they're basically surgically reattaching Fanny's body together in the middle of a bar, which is just yards away from her home. And from there, the police <laughs> takes all the evidence. So they sew the body together. The police come to collect the evidence. They're like, gonna solve the case, right? They did also find in this meadow a stone that still had like flesh and hair sticking to it. So that was given to the police as evidence. Apparently they think that's like the actual murder weapon. That evening... The police superintendent, his name is William Cheney. He is met by several people that lead him to the Leatherburn bottle where all the evidence is being gathered. And upon the arrival, the owner of the bar hands Cheney a bundle that's labeled portions of a child. (laughs) 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 And so that's a funny shit. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how all the evidence has come together and then Fanny's body is sewn together, put into a bundle and just labeled so unceremoniously as portions of a child and just like handed off to the police, which is fucking terrible. So hearing that Frederick Baker, again, this is William Cheney. He hears that Frederick Baker had been seen with the children prior to Fanny disappearing. He's like on the case and he's starting to retrace his steps through the town and to locate Baker's place of work. He arrives at the solicitor's office at about 9 p.m. So he finds Baker still at work and an hour later than usual. So it's kind of strange that Baker is still in the office at this point. He's obviously like you murdered this small child, yada, yada, rabble, rabble. And Baker's protesting. He's claiming his innocence. And despite being the only suspect, he's still like, no, I didn't fucking do it. However, Cheney, he has no alternative. This guy's the only suspect. So thankfully he does arrest Baker on suspicion of murder. And by this time, a very large and very pissed off crowd of people had gathered outside of the solicitor's office, which forced the police to smuggle Baker out the back door because they're afraid that people are going to kill him before they can like properly interrogate and try him which honestly i would like yeah oh yeah he deserves to be fucking stoned to death by an angry mob at at this point (laughs) and so they've smuggled him out the back door they take him to the police station baker was found to be in possession of two small knives they were unstained but i mean that's assuming you know he had cleaned them off after the murder and then there are spots of blood observed on both wristbands of his shirt and his trousers look like they had been soaked to conceal a bloodstain. All of this sounds very suspect, but in the Victorian area, like a lot of people will just rewear the same, like two or three outfits all the time, or just mm-hmm. like consistently through a week. It's not unusual to have like a nice suit set that you just wear every day. After being questioned about his appearance of his clothes, like the bloodstains and the soaked pants, Baker goes, well, I don't see a scratch or a cut on my hands to account for any of that blood. He's trying to be like, oh, I don't know what happened. Like I must've cut myself. But Baker's conduct during his interrogation is described as, like, cool and collected. Sometime after the arrest, Cheney backtracks, goes to Baker's desk in the solicitor's office. That's a hard word to say. Solicitors. He goes to 
the solicitor's office, and he discovers a diary among some of the legal papers, and an entry had been made for Saturday, the 24th of August, 1867, which recorded, quote, killed a young girl. It was fine and hot. <laughs> what the <fuck>? Yeah. <laughs> and this is precisely the reason why men cannot be trusted to do anything right. Because, boy, you cannot get away with murder if you're leaving written confessions just lying around your office. In the solicitor's office. Yeah, yeah. He's working in a legal office just leaving handwritten confessions to murdering a young girl. Like, come on, brother. That's just fucking... Murder 101. (laughs) So, the Hampshire Chronicle, which is a local newspaper, they report that the Hop Garden had finally been cleared of all possible evidence on the 21st of September, but nothing connected with the murder had really been found, like, after that initial sweep by everyone. It also added that Baker had remained completely unfazed with the murder and did not exhibit any symptoms of insanity or remorse over it. Further confusion is added when Baker states that he was intoxicated after seeing the children. So it sounds like he's a fucking pervo. All evidence and witnesses reject his claim and Baker is transferred to Winchester Prison, which is a higher security facility in mid-October of that year. They're still investigating, yada yada. They continue until October and it's around this time that a young boy whose parents lived close to the Adams family they came forward as an eyewitness. So this boy testified that he saw Baker emerge from a hop garden at about 2 p.m. on the day that Fanny was murdered with his hands and clothes just soaked in blood. He then says that Baker reportedly stooped down to the river. So mind you again, next to this meadow and hop field is a river. Baker went over to the river. He just like calmly wipes himself off with a handkerchief and then he puts a small knife and another just unidentified object into his jacket pocket. The boy had initially relayed this story to his mom at the time, but she told him not to tell anyone until eventually she's in a pub and she like spills the beans. So I'm assuming he tells his mom that day and his mom's like, we can't talk about that because we don't want to be involved in a murder case or something like that. And then she gets drunk at the pub two weeks later and is like, you guys will never (laughs) believe what fucking happened. (laughs) So this prompts the police to search the area by the river for like 16 days, but they never find any other murder weapons. Again, it's late October. And finally, this evidence is set out for forensic testing, which not super sophisticated at the time. But all the recovered clothing, the two knives that were taken from Baker when he was arrested, they're all sent to receive the most detailed possible tests that they could receive for the year. After examining them for a week or two, tests were able to confirm that there was blood on the knives and it was from a human. Now, you're not really able to, at the time, determine if it was a young girl or if it's from a man, whatever. But there was blood on it. And then one of the small knives contained an amount of coagulated blood, just like in the handle somewhere. Further examination of Baker's clothing uncovered some small traces of diluted blood in parts of his waistcoat, his trousers, and his stockings. And then the waistbands of his shirt had been folded back. There was diluted blood staining in the folds. So like if he was trying to like in a rush clean himself off, it's not something he would have seen. Thankfully, Like, the small, small, small silver lining of this is that there is no sign of rape on the body. I'm hoping that what happened is he just, like, smashed her over the head of the rock and it was quick and easy. And then, like, she didn't have to go through any of the other bullshit. But we don't really know what happened. Mm. But thankfully, although when you're that dismembered, how do you even tell? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, like, literally ripped her apart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'm unsure how they're even able to determine that there was no, you know, sexual misconduct there. But... I feel like in some of those cases, they just tell everybody that there wasn't just to make it a little bit easier to swallow. 
Especially the older cases, like... Because, mm-hmm. like, especially if her lady bits were cut out, like, I have a really hard time believing that this wasn't, like, a sexually motivated crime. Right. Yeah, so that's fucking gruesome. So all the evidence comes back. Ultimately, the cause of death was thought to have probably been a blow to the head with a stone, so that rock that they had uncovered. Forensics then indicated that cuts had been made when the body was still warm, and that Fanny had not only been cut, but just, like, hacked and torn to pieces, like, super brutally. Like, he just, like, a fucking werewolf just tore her body apart. Mm Mm-hmm. The time it had taken Baker to cut the body into so many pieces most likely gave him the opportunity to choose his positioning so that he might not necessarily be covered in blood. So basically what they're saying is she was murdered and that he could be, like, very precise, even though it was so brutal, but he could be, like, kind of careful about how he was cutting so she wasn't struggling against him. He could, like, not get himself dirty is essentially what they're saying here. The forensic staff in London, they conclude that the small knives found in Baker's possession would not have been capable of severing Fanny's body, so there must have been another weapon used. That's never been uncovered. I'm leaning towards the idea that maybe that was, like, tossed in the river and just, like, swept away because that boy said that he was in the river, he was tossing things in, like, likely that's what happened to this. So meanwhile, in prison, Baker is said to be talkative with the wardens, and especially to the prison chaplain. So he's, like, gone to jail, finding Jesus. He still insists that his conscience was clear with regards to the matter, and he wondered who the guilty party was, hoping that he, quote-unquote, would be found, even though he left a written confession in his diary. Come on, man. (laughs) And apparently he ate and slept perfectly well, which, you know, fuck this guy. He just, like, has no remorse over what's going on apparently like the first week or so after when he was in the just like the local prison he was having like disturbed sleep and would like shudder at the sight of meat and stuff but like when he goes to jail he's just like no i'm cool i'm chilling we're finding jesus we're good to go ultimately this dude he goes to trial um and the jury returns a verdict after only 15 minutes of deliberation that he is fucking guilty which bless preach hallelujah on christmas eve that year, Baker is hanged outside of Winchester Prison. That kind of puts a little neat tidy bow on our story. Unfortunately, she dies, but we do find the murderer. This crime had become so notorious, though, at the time that 5,000 people attended his execution. And this is actually the last public execution that was ever held at that prison. Before his death, Baker does write to the Adamses finally expressing his remorse for what he had done. I think he came to the realization that, shit, I'm about to die for this. Like, maybe I should apologize and get right with God before I go, which, like, fuck you, man. Not happening. Um, And he was, like, seeking their forgiveness, but... You literally mauled a child, like... Yeah, yeah. You ripped her, like, her limbs from her body. Yeah, it was fucking awful. So I think we can all agree, uh, fuck you, Baker. Thankfully, Fanny was able to be laid to rest with her murderer done and dusted. So her family receives like a small amount of justice. Fanny's name does take on an unfortunate legacy in English slang vocabulary. This is really fucking dark humor and I shouldn't laugh at this, but in 1869, there is new rations of tin mutton that are introduced to British Navy men. And they were so unimpressed by it. Like the meat was so gross that all the sailors go, (laughs) they suggest that it might be the butchered remains of Fanny Adams. And so from there, Fanny Adams became a slang term for mediocre mutton and stew and scarce leftovers that were served to the Navy men. And they'd be like, oh, we were getting served up a plate of Fanny Adams, which really fucking gross. And then 
yeah, by the mid 20th century, a lot of working class men. So like this kind of catches on using her name as mm-hmm. slang. And so they have a term that they're not doing sweet fuck all. So like a lot of these worker men would be like joking around with their, you know, I guess co-workers you would call them and say, oh yeah, we're not doing sweet fuck all today. And so when their bosses would hear them say that, they'd be like, what do you mean? And they're like, oh, sweet Fanny Adams. So instead of saying sweet fuck all, they would see we're not doing sweet F.A., as in Sweet Fanny Adams. So, like, oh, we're just saying that we didn't murder Sweet Fanny Adams, but they're really using it as we're not doing sweet fuck all the day at work. Um, and that's actually kind of, if you hear anyone say nowadays, like, I'm not doing F.A., it means fuck all, but also it has the dual meaning of we're not doing Fanny Adams today, so. I'm not going to murder a child today. Yeah, yeah, we didn't murder a child today, so <laughs> we're not going to do sweet fuck all. I think that's something that, like, I would say and people would be like, what the fuck is wrong mm-hmm. with you? Yeah. So, yeah, that is the gruesome and terrible story of the murder of Fanny Adams. That is uh, horrifying, yeah. honestly. Yeah, it's really bad. Real gross. Real gross. I think the only upside to it is that the murder was caught in. Yeah. murdered, so. Well, and it doesn't seem like there's really any other chance that it could be anybody else, because mm-hmm. it's like... He literally was, like, there from the time that she arrived there, and then yeah. he was leaving as, like, wasn't it they were going to look for her out in the meadow? Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, and then, again, he wrote down in his diary that he killed a small girl that day. So, like, yeah. is there any small children missing other than Fanny Adams now? Like, he's so clearly guilty, and it's probably the reason it only took the jury 15 minutes to deliberate. I like to think that it took him all of 30 seconds. They're like, we just need to sit in here just to make it look like we actually tried. Yeah. It's tarot time. Baby, it's tarot time. Let's find out what's going to happen this week. Okay, so first card, we have two of wands reversed. That is like you are overconfident about a situation. Um, Your own overconfidence is kind of holding you back. It's your own hubris is holding you back. And then we have the Queen of Cups upright. That is your intuition. This is like your emotion or your creativity um, in a more positive way light while you do have a lot of hubris you also have a lot of creativity very like emotionally intelligent and then the next card is the fool upright this is like um this is an opportunity for a new beginning so you're going to go on an adventure very positive like yeah there's some changes to be made but there's also an opportunity for adventure we have the three of wands upright that is like um, being strategic, maybe going on a trip, but it can also mean just like relocation, um, sort of like uh, some colonizer energy. If you look <laughs> at those cards specifically, like colonizer energy, but you're, you're going on a, a new journey or maybe going to have a little bit of trouble on your adventure, um, on your path to your adventure. This is a chariot reverse. This is like self-doubt or defeat. Um, it can mean like losing, but this feels like you're, you're not going to be successful at first. Um, then we have the six of wands reverse, which this is like, um, doubt. This is like, you're doubting your own success. You may have felt like you may feel like you're kind of in a losing situation. You may feel like you've got knocked down, but you can get up again and it's never going to keep you down. down. 
So this is like um, achievement. This is like family. So maybe you just need to ask your family for help or, you know, maybe it's you were like trying to go out on this journey on your own, but you need to kind of like come, come back to what you know, like come back to your family, come back to your support system so that you can be successful in your journey. We have the nine of wands upright, which is like your, your courage. It's your determination to make this shit work. Um, like you're really dedicated to making it work. And then just one thing to watch out for is like your materialism. Like don't be spending too much money. Don't be buying too many mini brands. This is just kind of <laughs> like uh, setbacks, you know, like the road to success is not just a straight line. There's like ups and downs, peaks and stuff. We'll stop it there. All right, sweet. Well, we'll issue quick words of wisdom. Yeah. Um, one, don't take candy or candy money from strangers. <laughs> Jesus Christ, no. Mm-hmm. Don't uh, colonize the native's land and expect that to work out well for you because you'll disappear mysteriously. Um, and I guess the fuck you's for this week. Brian Laudry, is that his name? Mm-hmm. The runner, the track star. And yep. I'm going to say F you to Mr. Baker from my story. Um, I don't have any personal beef this week. I know I say that every week and then I always like think of something arbitrary like, what was it last week that Dollar General didn't have the right kind of races? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think my only fuck you is just to colonizers this week. Yeah. All right, especially, especially the one guy who just like decided to kill the chief because he was... Uh, he just wanted them to get along. I don't know. He I think, thought he could just swing his dick around. Yeah. Yeah, really fucking that guy. Fuck that guy. <laughs> For sure. Okay. I am fucking starving. So we'll wrap it here, you guys. Thank you for listening and or watching and or following us on Instagram. If you're not already, check out our link down below to the side. Anywhere that you're listening or watching, there's a description you know where it's at. You can figure it out. You're smart. We, we trust you. We believe in you. You're wonderful. You're perfect. You're doing amazing, sweetie. Um, <laughs> yeah. And with that, we will see you and or you will hear us next week. Okay. Bye. Bye.